people just shout at each other because they think that's what makes the rate coverage of Belarus protests in in Russian state media is very very I would say uneven. They even you know this this some this is something that's never happened before in the history of, of Russian state news agencies. Uh, put him in front of a camera and feed him some methamphetamines, and that would be. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. And I'm recording this on Friday, September 18th. And on today's show, we're going to talk about Belarus, where President Alexander Lukashenko has been in trouble in some hot water since about August 9th, when he was allegedly re-elected. There have been large-scale protests ever since. And on today's show, we're going to look back at two sort of PR escapades. The first one, a failed publicity campaign from about a decade ago, and then we're also going to look at the Belarusian state media's latest reinvention, courtesy of Russian propagandists. About a decade ago, when a conflict over tariffs on Russian energy products strained the relationship between Alexander Lukashenko and Vladimir Putin to the breaking point, the Belarusian president endeavored briefly but brazenly to repair his standing in the West. He had help from a man named Timothy Bell, Lord Timothy Bell, in fact, the founder of Bell Pottinger once one of the most influential PR firms in the world. One of the publicity campaign's major goals was to undo Lukashenko's reputation as Europe's last dictator, a phrase U.S. Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice used in April 2005 to describe him. You may have heard this phrase, it stuck. Bell Pottinger's political strategists were hired to help end Belarus's international isolation, persuade the West to lift foreign sanctions, and help establish ties to organizations like the IMF and the World Bank which could conceivably have helped the country manage the loss of trade with Russia. To do this, the firm facilitated press tours in Belarus for Western reporters and interviews with Belarusian state officials. There were also articles and supplements published in several Western newspapers and magazines about Belarus as a new travel destination and a place to invest your money. The campaign was a failure, of course. There are certainly authoritarians who managed to get along with the West without much public controversy, but Alexander Lukashenko could not pull it off. Twelve years later, most of the people who participated in the Bell Pottinger scheme are reluctant to discuss it. Some of them, like Lord Bell, are now dead. Medusa investigative editor Alexei Kavalyov nevertheless managed to reconstruct details of the operation's timeline and verify that Boris Berezovsky, the Russian oligarch who died in 2013, played a key role in the whole affair. I started looking at uh, closer at this story, trying to uh, find some leads, trying to find some ex-employees of the firm, uh, to find journalists who, uh, who were uh, based in Minsk at the time, or uh, foreign diplomats, and basically anyone I could find. And yeah, everyone <laughs> everyone thought it was a sham, it was a complete shambles. And that's why it failed so spectacularly, because neither, neither side actually knew what the other could actually do, what it was capable of. They very much overestimated their own abilities and overestimated their client's abilities and so, so on. In the story, you mentioned that Boris Berezovsky played this large role. Is he essentially the connection between Lord Bell and Lukashenko? How did they end up in a room together? Actually, it was all Berezovsky's idea. And, and it was one of the unexplained mysteries of this uh, relationship because you, can, you couldn't find two more different people than Alexander Lukashenko and Lord Tim Tibel. They are from completely different worlds. 
And yet somehow they did that. Uh, they did end up in a room together because for Boris Berezovsky, the crazy scheming oligarch always pulling the strings uh, in one country to and jet jetting from one country to to another uh, all the time. It was pretty natural for him to just cook up this crazy scheme where he would pull Lukashenko closer uh, to the West and form an alliance with Belarus, Ukraine, and other and other countries transporting. Russian oil and gas, but who are in, who have, may have a sort of a different relationship with Russia, that he would help them form an alliance, and that this alliance would impose stricter tariffs on Russia for transporting Russia's oil and gas, and that's how he would get back at Putin for crossing him, or whatever was in his mind. I I I cannot really know because he was he was such a chaotic person. So he came up. He, his one of his talents was. Coming up with these absolutely insane ideas and getting people on board, <laughs> so he actually he managed to get both Lukashenko uh, and Timothy Bell in the room, and they struck a deal. Berezovsky struck when the iron was hot, so to speak. Before he managed to get Lukashenko and Lord Bell together in a room, the Russian media was beating up Lukashenko on TV, insulting him, and saying all kinds of nasty things in exposés. It was a very opportune time because at, at this point, Lukashenko was, was on the receiving end of Russian state propaganda and, and sanctions and w- whatever. Basically, what's uh, happening in, with Ukraine now, but on, on a smaller level, sounds the you know, war and tanks and, uh, and annexations. But yeah, there was a, there was a five-part series on, on, on NTV, uh, the kind of sort of private propaganda channel that's not exactly state owned that's not at least not formally so but it's uh it's got the it's pumping out the the dirtiest the, the most insane propaganda targeting the opposition but this time back in 2000 no it was 2010 so there was a part, five part series about Lukashenko who, which painted which painted him as, as this corrupt dictator basically what he is but there was a lot of there was a lot of that like what's happening on russian state television now but the opposite. Lukashenko was quite, quite angry and, and scared of it. So he kind of wanted to join a different, you know, leave the club and join a different party. It was a very opportune moment for both because that was uh, kind of Bell Pottinger's thing, helping difficult people in difficult situations. So yeah, the they, Berezovsky, who had always stayed kind of in the shadows in these because both Lukashenko, both Belarus and, and Bell Pottinger, they had always, they, they'd always say that they were just two parties to this contract, just them. Just uh, Lord Bell had always said in interviews that uh, all the bills were paid by the Belarus government and there was no other kind of intermediary there. But yeah, uh, it was actually Berezovsky's idea. And like many of, uh, of Berezovsky's idea, it was a complete and utter failure from the start. One of the cameramen who worked on that that NTV sort of miniseries, which I guess the title translates roughly to Godfather. So the title of the, the, the Godfather in, in Russia is Krosnetets. And Batka is a uh, Ukrainian slash Belarusian slash kind of vernacular Russian. Batka means father. And so one of the cameramen who worked on that, that sort of docuseries is now apparently in Minsk helping Russian journalists, Russian state journalists, sort of put the Belarusian state media back on track. And it's apparently it's not as simple as just replacing the journalists and the technical staff 
who walked off the job in, in protest. It's a bit more nuanced than that. And you have this other article where you, you dive into, into this. Can you explain, as far as we know, what exactly are these, these you know, dozens of Russian journalists doing now in Belarus? Okay, so uh, basically because these, these people have no shame at all or conscience, the same people who would tarnish, you know, paint Lukashenko as this crazy, unhinged uh, and corrupt dictator, the same very people are now helping him, now propping him up. It's 10 years later, too. You'd assume that they'd think even worse of him after another decade in power. Pretty much the same people are propping him up against in these unprecedented protests. Simply because, you know, we're, getting, we're going into the speculation area here, but I don't think Putin likes uh, Lukashenko very much, but he's just really scared of... A uh, close neighbor being uprooted and booed out of office by a bunch of ang- angry color revolutionaries, something. <laughs> so the same, the same people who are who are painting him as this uh, bad guy ten years ago and now helping him set up his propaganda machine because up to now it was quite peculiar. The Belarusian propaganda has its uh, had its many quirks, but it wasn't. It's never been as you know professional, I, I would say, as, as, as the Russian state television. Because it was, it's quite quaint, you know. It had it, it had its own memes about, you know, this, this, the same propaganda tropes that we're seeing in Russia, with you know the Americans plotting, and because it's Belarus, the the, the Poles on the border, that Poland is also plotting to overthrow Lukashenko, something and sending spies and whatever. The spy mania, uh, the uh, anti-Americanisms and everything. But it was, if you look at the, if you look at Belarusian state TV like a year ago, it's quite, how would I put it, less exciting than what than, than what you normally see on Russian state television. But now I, I've actually, I'm following a lot of Belarusian pro pro government, pro Lukashenko media and social media channels because they, at some point, not so long ago, they realized that they must have realized that they're uh, getting hammered on social media. Because they're, uh, they're, they're, the messaging on the, on the state television is so, there's a word for that in Russian, Dubovi. It's like, it, it's made of wood, it's made of oak wood. Wooden. Yeah, it's so, it's so wooden and inflexible. Uh, and it's, it, it's really, un, it's really unlike, uh, the Belarusian state TV to be so, so fixated on, on Ukraine and Maidan and that sort of thing. Because they've never, they've never been too, too worried about Maidan happening uh, in, in Minsk. And the only thing, the, the, the only time uh, Ukraine would be brought up, if they interviewed some, some refugee from Donetsk, setting up a new life in his quiet, well-managed Belarus. And now it's all uh, Ukraine, Maidan, 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 all the time, all the time. Now you can see it like, like every Lukashenko speech, every uh, new segment on Belarusian state TV, it's all Maidan, Maidan, Maidan. Uh, so it's clearly, it's, it, 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 it does seem like it's, it, it's, it's been imported from somewhere. Uh, from somewhere where this is a major subject on state propaganda. And uh, it was imported by someone who didn't give it much thought about the uh, local complexities and local sentiment. And they would just uh, take this take, take, take this whole matrix of, of these typically Russian subjects and just make a carbon copy of it and take it to a, to a newsroom at Belarus State Television. And that, that's what it looks like. I've talked to a few people and yeah, it looks like the first, the, the initial sentiment, the initial rumors that I saw online was that so many people actually on Belarusian state television walked out that they had to import these strike breakers from Moscow. Like, oh, they were, I'm seeing these, you know, these typical rumors on, 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 on social media. 
like my cousin who works at Belarus State, State Television says there are two plane loads of these strike breakers from Moscow that just touched down in Minsk International Airport and they're going to, to fill in all those empty seats in these newsrooms. But actually, no, that didn't happen. For listeners who maybe don't have a good sense of kind of what makes Russian TV more sensationalistic than, say, Belarusian TV, because I imagine, you know, there are some people out there listening that don't watch either. And they maybe are, they're familiar with the idea of Russian propaganda, but they don't necessarily know what Russian TV for Russians looks like. Which, how, how would you compare it to major, say, a major U.S. television network? Like, is, is NTV or Pervi Kanal, these, these Russian networks, is it like Fox News? Is it like MSNBC? Like, how would you compare those, those outlets? I'd say it's very, very, very Fox uh, so some some primetime talk shows have clearly been uh, lifted from um, from Fox and Friends and that kind of, that kind of thing, and there is definitely uh, a touch of uh, Sean Hannity and definitely Tucker Carlson here and there. And if you are from the UK, that would probably be well, like pick any uh, Daily Telegraph columnist and uh, put him in front of a camera and feed him some methamphetamines, and that would be. It. It's most it's it's a lot of Fox News and sometimes veering right into one American news network. Sometimes it's a lot more Fox than Fox. So yeah, it's what you can characterize as, it, 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 as would be it's very loud. You know, it's uh, it's uh, uh, most of the talk show most of the political talk shows on Russian state television are basically scream fest. So people just shout at each other because they think that's what makes the ratings. And actually, um, in Joshua Yaffa's uh, book, Between Two Fires, uh, he actually talked to one of these people on these Russian uh, political talk shows. And the guy, you know, after the, after the shooting, the guy would be, you know, the guy who would just threaten to throw things at him or curse him on air would be really friendly and nice. And uh, he would just say, well, well it's, it's, it's a job. I mean, we, we have to, we, we know what makes the ratings. So that's what we're doing. So it's very loud. It's very hysterical. It's very conspiratorial. That's what Belarus state television and social and pro-government social media look like now. It's my understanding that Russian state TV generally tends to follow the government's lead, whereas, say, Fox News, at least in the United States, seems to be the other way around sometimes, where Trump seems to be get- getting his ideas from Fox News, whereas, at least in, in the Belarus situation, at first, it seemed, and this is this you talk about this in your article. At first, many of the Russian news outlets didn't seem to know how to cover it. Like there, there's, 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 there were kind of wide disparities in the tone that they took. Some attempted to be far more objective, and they actually entertained the numbers that the protesters were citing. Russia Today was not one of those outlets, but 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 there was there wasn't a consensus at, at first, at least. It seems like one has maybe emerged now, but. But there, there, there was a bit more pluralism at first. Yeah, it's it's quite un, unusual, I would say, for for someone who's been watching and fo- closely following these uh, Russian state media. I'd say it's it's quite unprecedented for something, especially as a foreign policy matter, especially one that's happening so close to Russia. It's quite unusual for the Russian state media not to have a very well choreographed and imposed on them in a top down manner. From the Putin's administration, it's it's quite quite unusual. I mean, it's the coverage of Belarus protests in in Russian state media is very very I would say uneven. This is something that's never happened before in the history of, of Russian state news agencies, at the, uh, especially not not TASS. But they are 
actually disputing the official police figures of these attendances uh, at, at rallies. So RT would, for example, I am, I, and I'm uh, covering this in my article, I, RT would say, okay, so um, according to the, uh, to the uh, Belarus Interior Ministry, there were 20,000 people at this protest. And actually TAS would say, the Belarus Interior Ministry claims there was there was some uh, twenty thousand people at this protest. A headline that you you would never see in TASS in relation to Russia, for example. So a Russian state medium, a state news outlet would never question the police's figures. And then, of course, they were like close to a hundred thousand people, hundred thousand people. But yeah, <laughs> that's a different matter. We've been joking. How can they, how can they go back to covering the protests in Moscow in the way the, the way they usually do after this? There is this big generational divide which exists in the way immediate are consumed. That's Alex Kokcherov, a country risk analyst who focuses on Belarus, Russia, Ukraine, Eurasia, and the Caucasus. I asked him about changes in the Belarusian media landscape since the protest started on August 9th, and he was quick to point out that a lot of people aren't tuned in to the TV networks or even the newspapers anymore. If you're a millennial or younger, you're online. I think in countries like Belarus, it's much more pronounced where the older people generally uh, don't use, say, smartphones and applications on smartphones as much as, say, their peers would in Western Europe or US. So as a result, older people tend to rely on uh, more traditional media, such as uh, TV, which in case of Belarus is state TV, uh, and uh, print media, which again, mostly state-controlled media. But younger people predominantly use social media and they are completely ignorant of, of what happens on TV. They know they never watch TV because there's nothing, you know, from their perspective, there's nothing interesting for them there. And they never read government's controlled print media. So there is a very big divide in the way how information is consumed. And you would have a generation, say, of retired people who have a completely different worldview because of the media uh, they consume. And then you have these younger people in their 20s and their 30s, and especially even, you know, teenagers who are on Telegram and uh, who consume media completely in a different way. And as a result, uh, they are on, on Telegram, on TikTok, on YouTube, whatever social media they are, and their worldview is completely different. And the information they receive about events in the country and outside of the country is completely different to that of their, say, parents or grandparents. It's my impression that a lot of Western observers are tempted to think of Belarus as, and, and the Lukashenko regime as basically a miniature version of Russia and the Putin regime. Are there problems with that comparison, or do you think that's a reasonable way to look at it? There are problems with this comparison because Russia is a much larger and, as a result, a much more complex country with a, a much more complex uh, power hierarchies. Uh, Belarus is uh, a much smaller country, and as a result, it's much more centralized compared to Russia. In Russia, you have all these multiple levels of local, regional elites, sectoral elites, which, you know, compete for resources and they, they interact one way or another. In Belarus, everything is much more streamlined and because it's a, it's a much smaller country. And because of the system which Lukashenko built over the past 26 years, which is much more vertically integrated, I would call it, compared to Russia, which is, which is, which still has 
a degree of autonomy and has multiple plans and multiple power structures. Belarus is much leaner in this respect and uh, much more centered on Lukashenko compared to the system uh, which exists in Russia. I think in Russia, the whole political system is more decentralized and Putin plays a role of um, chief arbiter while Lukashenko plays a role of an absolute monarch. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, an English-language podcast from Medusa. On today's show, we heard from Medusa investigative editor Alexei Kavelov about his two recent reports on media schemes in Belarus, a failed attempt about a decade ago to rescue Alexander Lukashenko's reputation in the West, and an ongoing effort by Russian state journalists to steer the Belarusian state media in the midst of nationwide protests. And we spoke to Alex Kokcherov, a country risk analyst who focuses on Belarus and the former USSR, for a sense of the generational divides in media consumption in Belarus today. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa, our first English-language show, and I hope you recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. Thank you for listening and come back soon. Mm-hmm.